destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Deimos, an Ixendraconis fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Deimos orbit on Object 17 Voltaire Station. This is episode 53 of Radio Free Deimos, Pulse Town. With me this week are my co-hosts, Wines, YT, Ashtar, and I'm Corbo. So before we get started, I'm going to go back a few days. Last week we took a trip down to Olympus Mons to get some kibble for the TTI podcasting module, and we got stuck in a giant robot ball fanpocalypse. It was... Pretty terrifying, I think. How did you all weather out the storm? Going to the snack bar and bartering for past sell-by date jerky. Mm, delicious, yes. Mm. It's supposed to be that color. It, it takes serious knowing. I went and hid in candles and stuff because nobody ever goes into candles and stuff. It kind of scared them. Lynx twins. And I really can't say anything else, but uh, you might catch the footage on VSPN 8, the Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> Competitive sport. And I found myself a nice, quiet coffee shop lit brightly. That was probably not quite the ideal situation for a bunch of rabbit sports fans. Yeah, Thank God, I had a great cup of tea. No, it sounds perfect. Thank God I'm in a coffee shop. Boy, how can anything that big hide for so long a time? Yeah, I wonder what their next move will be. So what's new from the world of HSD? There is a new Kickstarter up. It's another miniatures Kickstarter. This one I'm having a little bit of mixed feelings about. It looks like Sev's moved off off of the old site. I don't remember what it was called, but the one that had kind of the print-on-demand minis. Right. And nice, nice stuff. And moved to something called Shapeways.com, which is sort of a general purpose 3D printing online shop, I guess. Yeah, I've used those services before. Oh, okay. I made a gun. No. So this particular Kickstarter, it's focusing on what he's called iconic characters, which in this case is more like DM stuff. It's more monsters and things like that. Now, doing some research, it looks like the HSD miniatures are really the only line of PC Anthro minis. There just isn't any more out there. But And I don't know what the market is for that, but I really do feel like at this point, maybe this is, that's more of a fourth generation minis Kickstarter. And I really want, I want my gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't understand what he looks like without a one-inch-tall picture of him. There, there was a, a line of wargaming figures with historical wargaming, but all anthros. I saw. Like they, the, the, the Bedouin bunnies and the Scottish troops were all badgers or something uh, like that. That exists. But pretty narrow. Narrow and a little bit stylized, I think. Right, There's right. another really nice line, but they're kind of comedic, like the dwarven cheerleader kind of squat and distorted. Um, really cute. They've got like a great fox brigand and things like that. But um, I guess we'll have to link to all these. Yeah. But nothing that's really like a standard gamer mini except for Sev stuff. Way back in the day when we had uh, Furry Pirates, I think, or one of the other games in that, oh, in they, that period. Did, did they make miniatures for that? Either Furry Pirates or the original Iron Claw had a line of minis. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Okay. It didn't go very far. I mean, yeah. there was like five of them, but you know, it's probably horses and foxes and still no gazelles. Right. So that. Anyway, so if you want to back this, you can get um, whispers, um, some strange exotic collages, what looks like probably an owl. It's very fractal. When I was looking at it, it, it was kind of sectional miniatures and tons and tons of, of um, centaur bodies. Fractal. Nice Fractal. one. Fractal. Um, I think that maybe they're more modular than they used to be. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not sure about that, but maybe the website prints parts rather than uh, holes. I don't know. Right. Yeah. They, they have like, you get like a sprue of different dog heads, yeah. um, a sprue of arms. First off, I've never actually heard the word sprue used before. Well, you're not a war gamer. True. Secondly, how many dog heads does anybody need? Well, they have like one with head hair, oh. one with a heavy muzzle, one with a light muzzle. Oh, right. And they're little plastic miniatures, not actual dog heads. Right. That's, right. that's where I went immediately. So anyway, so it's running right now and we'll link to that or just Google for Ixundraconis Kickstarter. Hmm. How can any race be so stupid? Ah, oh, don't ask me any questions. I'm just a hard hand just like you. 
questions and opinions where we do not have answers, only something else. This one is not quite a question. It's more of a special order. As Sev points out, then in our last episode, we were talking about pulse conspiracies and such like. We forgot to mention the pulse shadow president. The biggest I'm sure conspiracy. We- didn't forget about it. We no. had a very good reason why we didn't talk about right, the shadow right. president, of course. No, we didn't. Unless it's, one of, <laughs> unless it's one of you. I just didn't write it around in my notes. Well, the last two shadow presidents have been uh, Trinity over and over again. So I just kind of tuned it out. But no, this is the first like living shadow president we have. And um, there's some really good reasons to bring her up because she's probably responsible for the Ruby Spire attacks. White well, lateral just, fox? Yeah, white lateral fox. Living from Longbow? From mm-hmm. Longbow? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Multiple tailed? No. Just <laughs> no? the one. Nice try. Okay. So, yeah, this is a white lateral fox. She's from Longbow. She is ruthless and cunning and has managed to bump off the previous shadow president who went to Longbow over and over again to hunt her. And each time she took a little bit more out of him, scanning him, digitizing him, downloading him, cracking him open, and finally had enough secrets that she was able to claim the shadow presidency for herself. Of all of the Shadow Presidents, including a brain bug, she's probably the least friendly to Vectors and views all of Vector society as kind of a worthless, decadent disaster. So was the key figuring out just how many exclamation points there were in the old Shadow President's password? Right. It was really stupid of them to share the same password between accounts like that. So she's used Pulse as a series of weapons to kind of leverage Vector society. Anyway, she's she's not a nice creature. She doesn't like Vectors and is uh, out to leverage Pulse to uh, make as much change, as much positive change as she can. Most recently, she has committed Pulse's army to the uh, strike on the Ruby Spire. So here's another question. If you're sending a mail or package to somebody on Longbow, do they have P.O. boxes? It's probably like federal prison. Just a- address it to, you know, Fred, Gr- Fred Greywolf, if he's still alive or findable. Yeah, yeah. Once every couple of days, they just take all the accumulated packages and dump them out of a shoot-up. space <laughs> <laughs> them. Okay, so she has committed the fleets of three corporations to the strike on the Ruby Spire, uh, mostly just for the sake of having three fleets at her disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know our long-term plans yet. But they're going to be there somewhere causing trouble. That's all I got. (laughs) Is the shadow president with them on the strike or the shadow president leading from remote on Longbow? She doesn't leave Longbow. Does not? No. They'd get her if she did. (laughs) But most shadow shadow presidents tend to act from distances anyway. Thus shadow president? Yes. Uh, It's interesting that she can actually do things like this because usually the shadow president has to kind of gently press buttons and not engage huge destructive armadas. But gently gently impulse. Maybe that's part of it. This is her gentle. (laughs) Well, and maybe we really needed to have some sort of massive campaign to stand behind because it's difficult times and difficult times for difficult species. Mm -hmm. Are we going to have to wait for resolution of this plot line for third ed? It's it's a big plot line. That that seems reasonable. Okay. Well, the GM's guide will probably have a lot of material when that comes out. I think there was one in the works because uh, Sound and Silence had an awful lot of movement on the previous plots. So, so that there's going to be more sounds and more silence. Um, probably a lot of sound. Not so much silence given the people involved. I just have it in my head that the the plan of the uh, fleets attacking the Spire is having talked her down from the original plan of... (laughs) (laughs) We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So on to the topic for the episode, which is life in a pulse town and some of the people you'll bump into there. Loud. Loud, boisterous, a lot of activity going on all the time. Usually cheers of a crowd is going to be a big thing. Pulse builds central and pulse builds either very up or very down because at the center of every pulse town, well, at the center of most pulse towns is the arena. This is kind of the hub around which things build and which activity flows. Uh, If you look at the picture of a pulse town in Sound and Silence, you just get a picture of an arena. So it's very important. But let's not get the idea that there's just the arena. There's probably dozens of them. Mm-hmm. You know, every day in a post town is probably like a YouTube content creators con convention 24-7. Just a lot of screaming and people <laughs> with microphones. My, my, my image of this world is like the weird cultural artifact of 
um, I guess Double Dragon and Street Fighter and then Smash Brothers, where there's this huge range of architectural styles, but they're all basically combat arenas. <laughs> no matter where you go, everything can be a combat arena. I'm working on a write-up of a Pulse Town that has like nine different huge arenas all over the place. One of them's in like a well-established restaurant kitchen because anything can be arena if you look at it hard enough. Okay, yeah, especially a big kitchen. I could see that. Yeah, with the uh, Ganymede combat spatula. <laughs> Seems dangerous. Actually, like you uh, knowing how like some chefs act and arena might be the only place they can work. I can sure. see that. Yeah, you can even start getting on team arenas and cheer for the different arenas and get them to uh, renovate to be the better arena than other arenas. You're getting strangely meta, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then pit the two committees against each other. No. Oh, that'd be hilarious for a building. You basically just have two. You hire two construction crews for one building, and it's who can build the building the fastest. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, Pulse is quite competitive. We know this, too. <laughs> One little side bit in Sound and Silence that I, I'm kind of having trouble imagining exactly what it's like is they say that Pulse, of course, loves sports and physical competition. That's great. They also love intellectual competition and the arts and things like that. And that's great, too. But they didn't apply the same sort of standards to them for, I guess, excitement and possibly full contact. So I am I am kind of wondering what uh, full contact competitive life modeling might look like. Or contact competitive Jeopardy. It's like Water. mud wrestling, but with paint. Watercolor. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Put a disco light on it and some heavy music, and you'll get a great time. <laughs> competitive web design. No, that one's easy. That would be wonderful. <laughs> competitive urban planning. <laughs> Been done. Competitive urban planning. Is that what happened to Florida? No, it's what happened in the 1945 Olympics. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we know this now. So in many ways, Pulse is com competition. It's definitely at its core. And um, one thing they do to make things more competitive and more cutthroat is your life is very open in a Pulse town. If you are in school, your grades are posted on a leaderboard. Presumably like salaries are posted, job metrics. There's the concept that a long-term employee of Pulse becomes a sort of public totem of what he's good at. And I think you have to build your way up there by seeing yourself on the board every single day and comparing yourself to your coworkers and things like that. It sounds a little nerve-wracking, and uh, that's why people leave Pulse Town. <laughs> kind of mediate. <laughs> okay, kind of the opposite of Spyglass in that sense. Uh, yeah, in Spyglass, I guess people the the corporation sees everything, but you you only see what your you neighbors see what allow. You can, yeah, what you can find. I don't know Spyglass. You see them as secrets, but they're really more of the discovery of secrets. I would think everybody in Spyglass would know a bit more about their neighbors than, say, Marsco or Progenitus. I, I tend to view Spyglass as like feeling like a small town where everybody knows each other. And that's the level of secrecy you have, which is not much. Not much. Whereas in Pulse Town, your metrics are out there and exposed. But you could probably, you know, have a fling with the secretary without anyone really caring that much. Again, kind of kick that back to social media influencer type. What you're putting out there is definitely out there. The metrics, the face, the branding. And a lot of people might know you, but it's not a two-way communication. It's not a two-way knowledge street. Right, and they don't necessarily care about you in specific, just kind of in bulk. <laughs> I feel like pop-up businesses is going to be a huge thing in Pulse Town. Ooh, uh, I love pop-ups. Yeah. They're tasty. What? <laughs> I think we're having a different conversation again. Um, a lot of flash sales. What's what's that, that hip-hop company we talked about briefly? They had a... Supreme. Supreme, yeah. Supreme uh, has this massive influence in hip-hop culture and apparel and accessories and crowbars and branded bottled water uh, and bricks. such. Bricks. Yeah. Branded bricks. Supreme bricks. What they do is they have limited edition items that they've slapped their label on or, or more involved in that or less involved in that, depending. Probably the, the Supreme bricks was probably a, probably a minimal effort sort of thing. Some um, degree of joke in there. Okay, I'll accept that. And by artificially limiting their, their uh, availability, they, the prices go up hugely and then there's a secondary market where the prices go up even further to $300 per Supreme Brick. No, $60 per Supreme Brick. I think they made it over 100 For the Ricks? Yes. Good job on them. Yeah. I don't regret the $3 I spent on cinder blocks last week then. <laughs> but I guess you could probably like wedge a uh, pop-up business into a sufficiently large, what do you call the Pokeballs again? Oh, the Sam. Yeah. A sufficiently large <laughs> Sam could contain an entire pop-up business. That's true. It's so literally, literally a pop-up business. Yeah, throw it really hard. It makes this great noise. And then suddenly there's your depot uh, for that. With new a flash of smoke and confetti. Oh, yeah, confetti. Yeah, add in a confetti cannon. 
pulse is not huge. Uh, it, it's so of all the megacorps, it's got the smallest number of corp citizens. It literally of, consumes itself all the time. It, it does. There's, there's a, not a lot of people can survive the Pulse experience that long. So I suspect that Pulse has uh, a number of very small corp towns or um, maybe corp towns that are broken up into like suburbs that are fiercely competitive and rival each other in so many ways. Because to have the kind of competitive culture, you need to be able to succeed. And in the bigger town you're in, the less you're able to be in the spotlight. So I think it would probably lend itself to boroughs and things like that rather than full-on Marsco-style corp towns. Uh, otherwise, who'd know that you're there? Well, that's also an argument for having post-corp towns much more often uh, located close to other corp towns, ready audience. Right. So they might sure. not follow... Pulse ideals, but they'll certainly come over, watch the spectacle, and pay some money. Could also be a bit like a tourist uh, vacation spot, uh, like uh, the Keys or Venice, uh, where there's not a lot of people who actually live there, but the tourist population is giant. So it might be basically small sections of Pulse specific living areas, and they basically just go off and work and compete in larger residential areas to draw in more effectively just people there to watch them compete. So there's like the pulse hub that spreads yeah. and influences the other towns nearby. Kind of. I'm now imagining a, a, a Italian themed city of mostly servines called Venison. That would be really good. Oh. Is it floating or rather sinking? <laughs> <Yes>. Bad joke. <laughs> and it goes with red wine. So one concept that's kind of just integral to Pulse Town is uh, the community hub. The big one is the central arena, the football stadium, the ball ball stadium, whatever it is. But around that and at times overlooking that or hanging into that, there's uh, smaller arenas, pubs, little community hubs. The of, of all of the corp towns we've discussed, it seems like Pulse has a really strong integrated community. I am kind of reminded of the... World Cup death counts that my favorite radio station, WFMU, used to put out where they would go into the news and just report that in this small town, this fan activity ended up with three dead. Uh, in this small town, this fan activity called created two dead. And you get this kind of worldwide picture of mayhem from the World Cup as it spread all over the place. And it's kind of focused in these little hub communities. And you've created a new competition for Pulse. Right. Body count? No, they were already there. They've been there for since uh, 100 AE. <laughs> Part of living in Pulse is to is to have these little local places where you do know your neighbors and things like that. And that, that's really cool compared to Marsco, where you can't possibly know your neighbors, and ASR, where you've locked them out with earbuds. I mean, there is an element of team sports and team competition. So your little neighborhood cul-de-sac will probably be its own team competing yeah. against each other and with each other. <laughs> Look at our perfect lawns. Look at our <laughs> perfect lawns. Yeah, you've kind of blurred the lines of teams or sports at that point. It's yeah. your, your neighborhood is your team and you're doing whatever the neighborhoods are in competition for at any given time. And you're also competing against your neighbors. But your work team is also your team and mm -hmm. you're competing there. Your friends are a team at that point. And <laughs> you might have multiple friend groups and you have multiple teams. It's now who has the cutest daughter. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the core aspects of Pulse is also kind of the perfection of the self, whether it's through biological changes or just hard work. Okay, mostly biological changes. Um, it's hard work to do all those <laughs> biological changes. Yeah. It, it is still aspiring to be the perfect you or be the best you or whatever. Yeah, I want to be the very best like no one was before. Thank you, Ash. Uh -huh. Is that... Uh, do you think that leads to more or less blips as compared to other megacorps? Because you do have that little aspect of being able to make the perfect offspring. I think there's an element of self-discovery in there as well. You don't want to limit someone by saying you're my father and I decided that this is the best appearance for you. It's, it's kind of they want people to discover who they are for themselves, it seems. So they might encourage it, but I don't think they would go full on blip. That takes a certain amount of self-awareness that I'm not sure most Pulse employees have. I mean, you can't totally 100% literally take the self the self improvement thing uh, because there's also just general competition as well that's in there. So I could see someone like making their own organisms or maybe making offspring to be somehow. Oh, I'm rewinding that entire paragraph. I don't know what I was going with that. 
Is is that too meta? I mean, is it pulse to be the person pushing your child to be the next Joan Benet or Woodsy Tiger? I think it's absolutely pulse to make your child be like supreme cheerleader goddess tiny girl dancer um puppy thing uh-huh. i mean that is that feels like the the dark side of pulse 100 percent. i mean i believe that child pageants are a thing in pulse town and horribly so much more so like everybody is terribly cutthroat about them but i don't necessarily believe that they would do that unless the child had taking the first step down that road herself by like touching a shoe or something like that, that made Uh them say, yes, she wants to be this. So I don't know. I feel like there's probably not more nor less blip activity in, in Pulse Town so much because do you create something to be the perfect thing? That's what what I was saying. Like, I think it's, they might do some small modifications. Like if they want their son to be an, or they want their kid to be an athlete, they might, genetically tweak them to be able to build more leaner muscle so they can act faster or little things like that instead of going full-on blip. Now, I could see on kind of a parallel-related note, uh, I I forget, there was some some comedy sketch or bit where um, a couple had, oh, uh, Idiocracy, Uh where a couple had put off having a child because the stock market wasn't going to happen or they put off having a child because Joe was pursuing a new job or something and they put off having a child until this or that and the other thing. And then Joe eventually died while having sex or something along those general lines and they never got to have that kid. Um, I could imagine in the kind of gung-ho side of Pulse, Uh a lot of families just never taking root because there just isn't time to have a kid, even with um, that learning and things like that. I mean, kids are inconvenient at the best of times. Yeah. So maybe there's more kind of artificially created from a Petri dish type kiddos, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily blips either. They could just be, that's what we had time for this week. Artificial womb. Yeah. A a, a parallel to this that I'm reminded of is like some years ago, someone was talking about some article about genetic engineering and saying, finally, we can have what every furry wants, be able to genetically engineer your children. And my thought was, what? Is that what we... I don't think that's what we want. No. And that goes really weird ways. Maybe genetically engineer a significant other, but not children. Right, right. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely called misreading your market. Yeah, yeah. But they'd go there, I think, given the chance. I mean, I suppose... I, mean, I, I was thinking, you know, well, that, that's kind of like buying, you know, junior motorcycle for your kid or buying a football, everything for the nursery, and then I realize, wait a minute, people do do that. So well, maybe, maybe I, just, I just don't get it. I don't know. There's also some ethical questions that we have today about, you know, genetically engineering children or people, you know, there's a certain lack of consent there that we're kind of chewing on that problem at the moment. But it's kind of implied that that ethical quandary doesn't exist in vector time because uh-huh. people do create blips. People do custom create new species and races, and that's just part of being a vector. Code you- is known and you can create people. Can you get surgery to not be a blip anymore? A blip is like social cues and things like that. At least going back to first ed, uh-huh. it was kind of like you were raised oddly. Like you oh. were raised by the sort of person that would create the perfect offspring. Oh, and single children. Yeah, yeah very much that. <laughs> what was so if you, if you consider vector DNA, it's kind of like th- there's a pattern. If you think of that as like maybe an OS and mm-hmm. there's different types of OSs, a blip is just a complete homebrew. Okay. Same architecture. But they went and tweaked a bunch of stuff. Okay. So it might be a little hit or miss on, you know, trying to retroactively take them back to being a vector. Your metaphor mileage may vary. (laughs) (laughs) They can definitely take the brain and put it in a new body. That probably would work. You've also got some weird offshoots on the uh, personal perfection and we'll just leave it at personal perfection type of route. Uh, One of the games that's been floating around for a while in the space too makes a point of having very wild uh, races one of the races that you can play in the space uh, 4x type game is the horatio faction uh, horatio was a very very rich man who decided that he was the pinnacle of evolution and that he didn't need other people so he simply started cloning himself and he created an entire species of horatio huh. because that was the pinnacle of evolution 
This game doesn't take itself very seriously, does it? It's it's got some weird quirks. <laughs> well, actually, w- which author is that? One of the big sci-fi authors. Um, I think Alistair Reynolds ha- has the concept in, in in his universe in a lot of his book of, of Shatterlings, where for for whatever reason someone creates dozens or hundreds or thousands of themselves. In some cases, they don't necessarily look the same. They don't necessarily have the same gender, but they'll say, hey, let's get together every 40,000 years to, to swap our notes. <laughs> it, it's, it's an interesting concept. I mean, and when, when you have total genetic control, when you can make copies of yourself, I mean, that's one way you can be everywhere is be everywhere. <laughs> okay. Veering back. <laughs> to Pulse. Um, well, well, but to relate that back to Pulse is one thing is that I tend to think of Pulse as their be yourself is be unique, but unique through self-effort to, to, to me, creating unique offspring. That doesn't ring true to me, but I mean, I could be wrong. That, that, that's just I tend to think of them as kind of athletes deep down a- a- athletes with that concept broaden. Actually, there's another book. Have any of you read Accelerando? I have not. Okay. One of the, this is kind of spoilery if people want to read a very interesting sci-fi, but it's kind of relevant as well. Uh One of the main characters, great-grandson, grandson, one of the two. Uh When they're born, what had happened is the mother had splintered herself off into seven parts of herself, sent one off to get to explore the edge of the Milky Way. Uh-huh. For various reasons, and left one in charge of her son, while the other five kind of went and ran one of the moons of Jupiter in the or Saturn in the book. I could be getting that wrong. It's been a while since I read it. Uh, but one of the things that had happened is the mother didn't like the way her son was being raised, and kept hitting the reset button to retry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and that had some disastrous effects on the kid because it didn't perfectly wipe his memory every time or something. Oh, okay. They, they weren't killing him and creating they a new clone. Him. They were just wiping his memory. Retrying. Okay. The kind of, kinder, gentler resets. Yeah. Or it, it was Accelerando. It was basically what happened. It was uh, what happens with more computational mass than actual mass. You know, the... the, the I'm forgetting the singularity. Singularity, right. Um, so it might have just been killing and retrying with a... Mostly the same brain. Okay. Um, and that has some very interesting effects of as the kid gets more and more kind of uh, hating the parents and uh-huh. liking the grandmother who's doing some very interesting things and how the kid is shaped by this attempt to make the perfect child. Who ends up, I think, trying to kill his mother and father and various other things. It's what kids do. It is. Sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good book. I do highly recommend Accelerando to anyone who wants to read cool. something about how a AI cat takes over the world. Damn hmm. cats. Yeah. That does definitely pull back into Pulse, though. You, you really have to wonder how close families are in Pulse, because there seems to be a very adversarial, confrontational relationship, even between partners, much less between parents and children. That's not exactly the close and calm home life that it really builds those family bonds. I feel like you could get every major family style sitcom here somewhere. You could have the really scary Osmond types where there's this entire clan of like nearly identical weasels and they're better <laughs> at everything than you. And then you have like your dysfunctional family where mom is working 25 seven and dad is working not at all because he's a poet, but he's the best poet. And the kids are all exploring their personal selves in various disastrous ways. Knowing Pulse, they probably do film it and stream it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, true. Every every day is a reality TV show. And, and also, I, I guess the, the notion that Pulse would have decided on a single interpretation of anything, that, that seems very out of character. No, yeah, they would never do that. I mean, they I could mean, be constantly fighting over whether it's, you know, pro wrestling or actual wrestling or tic-tac-toe. Who knows? I feel like I feel like sure. if you are walking down the street in Pulse Town, it's going to be more of a kaleidoscope than most other communities because people are able to take themselves in 
so many directions and they would choose to i mean just look at the names alone have more colors than, than any other corporation so you're going to be i think you'll be seeing more uh, cosmetic modifications more sculpting into whatever image of yourself you truly want to be more extra tails whatever it's just going to be a a bigger more inventive tapestry than you might get in say mars go <laughs> i imagine grade school classes where your assignment is gain 100 followers by the end of the week Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Come <laughs> on. You probably have entire grade school classes that are deciding who you are. Uh-huh. Uh, the streets would be beautiful. Oh, my God. You get professional comp- uh, competitions of graffiti artists. Oh, it yeah. Would be great. Or, or sidewalk chalk <laughs> mashup uh, artists. I, I think one business that might spring up a lot is like the U Clinic. It's kind of therapy, career counseling, self-help, weird guru cults, genetic profiling, and like a talent scout somewhere in there as well. It's just just out there for you to shop for your perfect next you. Maybe you change all the time what that is. Maybe you don't have that grand vision, but just place to go to 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 be the next thing on your menu. One thing I'm kind of wondering about in Pulse Town is: is there going to be more species uh, extremism? Uh, we've talked about this a long time ago. When like we're kind of looking at the way the world of HSD works is, um, well, do do female hyenas um, stomp on males? I mean, the answer is obviously yes. If they want to. <laughs> uh, do, do dog vectors have a strong pack mentality? Are cats standoffish or whatever? Do people embrace their animal traits? And I kind of feel like this is not about being the best you you can be, but I feel like the idea of like this kind of back to self cult might be a common occurrence in Pulse Land where like all the moose would get together and be more moosey together. Remember also that reclamation surgeries come from Pulse and in the last version, reclamation surgeries were available through Pulse. So I would definitely argue that there is a certain amount of be the you, be the best you, but also embrace the animal vector hybrid thing that you have going right, and not just be the best you. Yeah. E-W-E. You. <laughs> I, th- I think it might be a legitimate interpretation just to kind of assume that some people do look at their species as uh, a pivotal part of themselves and kind of go down that road together. Sure. Well, that's something that you have that other people don't have. Right. Be the best two-tailed winged fox you can be. Right. All, all of you. <laughs> In Sound and Silence, there is the strong sense that life in a pulse town is a little like being in a maybe a Skinner box or like an eight-year-old mad scientist's gerbil cage or something like that. Sometimes things just happen in Pulse Town. Right, right. Uh, There are specialists called uh, stagehands that set up random... Trouble. Trouble, yeah, random encounters. There are specialists called catalysts that put something in the water, and maybe you are one day um, trying to cope day-to-day at your soul-sucking job, and the next day... You're an eight-foot-tall rabbiting monster at your soul-sucking job. What happens to your supervisor? These are the unanswered questions of Pulse. <laughs> right, and it's defined in your apartment complex contract that they have the right to do this sometimes. Right, so just arbitrarily, things get shaken up regularly. Um, even the streets aren't terribly stable. Uh, neighborhoods get reorganized into different forms of arenas to create more entertaining collisions with each other. It's a strange place and uh, really a little little bit arbitrary, maybe. But it's never a boring place. No, it is definitely not boring. It's just not terribly predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, or safe. Or nah, well, safe. They've got really good insurance in Pulse. I'm pretty sure of it. Right. And, and it is a medical corporation at heart, so they can fix most of what's going to happen to you. Sure, most of it. Yeah, not the psychological scars so much, though. <laughs> What was the movie about the movie moving cities? Was it Mortal Engines? Dark yeah. Cities is oh, Mortal, M- Mortal Engines. Yeah, basically that. <laughs> the cities get up and walk around. Uh, Neighborhoods get up, rearrange themselves. That, that is kind of gamified cities, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but 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 they eat each the other. The entire city is a uh, chessboard. Hmm. <laughs> they get up three-dimensional chessboard. Chess. <laughs> Another kind of aspect that's very similar is that. City parts, components, neighborhoods, suburbs can be re- can broken be broken down, but they're often repurposed to be something spectacular. Maybe your suburb suddenly is doubled in size, 
and you have this new like weird battlefield that wasn't there or a series of obstacle courses or some in- new play piece that's just really exciting to deal with that you now have to go through every day to get to work it is true that it was very badly placed and it is occupying the front of the subway entrance (laughs) but still and now it literally is uphill and winter both ways (laughs) the main boulevard is now a supermoto track what will you do and there are two there are two roles the catalysts and the stagehands that probably work really well together to make these places extra exciting uh, not only do they warp the landscape, but they change the populace into no longer random bystanders, but uh, active participants. So another feature of the pulse terrain, uh, which I might talk about a little later on, is the beacons. Uh, beacons are kind of a category of pulse employee agent. And uh, I, I think you use one to great effect in your game. Um, I liked him a lot. I think a lot of the table liked him a lot. <laughs> Oh, the the giant calamity override. Yeah, calamity override. How did how did you get to him? It was really just looking through sound and silence and pulling directly from the different roles and going, starting to figure out how I could put some person around those or put a little bit of a persona around those. Yeah, he was a. Let's see if I remember right. Here's a wolf with the instantaneous uh, uh, transformation. Uh, 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 a lateral wolf with instantaneous transformation into a macro. With electric powers, right? Yeah. I, I, was he a lateral normally? He was an Ahmed. Yeah, I think he was just a normal anthro oh, normally. Okay. And the transformation became a giant or a macro lateral wolf. With, Sorry, we were paying no attention to him before he transformed. Yeah, it's, it's understandable. <laughs> He's just that way to give um, interviews. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the beacons, they're kind of like superheroes, local legends. They're bigger than life characters that kind of dot the pulse landscape and give people something to aspire to something to know what it is to be the biggest best of that particular thing they can be Uh, and they add a little excitement to things and i imagine make irpf life really difficult in the area because they act like superheroes they act like vigilantes at times superheroes idols sports legends all wrapped up into one there's also the implication there's like Whatever the dark opposite of a beacon is, is also something that Pulse encourages because they probably create villains as well for fun. Absolutely. So you can certainly get away with multiple beacons doing the teams route. So one on one team, one on the other team, throwing their weights behind the different uh, factions or the teams at any given time. Uh, Pro wrestling does this type of back and forth very effectively where... One day you're working with the heroes, one day you're working with more of the quote unquote dark side and... Then maybe you get redeemed, and that's its whole story arc as well. Right. But sometimes you're good, sometimes you're evil, but you're always wrestling. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's absolutely worthwhile to maybe have one or two Captain America-style beacons who are just always the shining beacon of Pulse, and then a couple of arc villains that are running around just to be the ultimate instigator. And in both cases, you might have actually pushed beyond what it means to be a vector and be into bioprobe territory. I think Pulse writes off these people as weaponry rather than citizens. Yeah. Yeah. Off topic story, but one of my first jobs in Austin when I was in a magazine shop one evening, just totally dead. No one there. This little old lady comes in. It's like, pardon me, do you have any wrestling magazines? And I, I point her at them. Then she comes back with one of them to buy. And she opens it up and shows me, says, that one right there, gorgeous George, that's my little boy. Aw. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what I thought about him getting into it, but he makes a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Another day-to-day aspect of life in a Pulse Town is uh, the amount of just kind of physical danger that you're in just by existing and going to work and having a day. Uh, Pulse builds up, out, around, and there's very little way of uh, railings to protect yourself from a fall. I think they made references to, like, with the whole thing where they might pump gas that turns into attack monsters, but they'll also cover your insurance. Like, if you get turned into a monster and get beat up by a superhero, they'll cover expenses. So so, so there's a flip side to the danger is that they will you know well it, it well it does not mean you're as safe as you would be elsewhere they'll they'll help out they're yeah. pretty good at doing that yeah if you fall That's... off the skywire they'll cover your insurance if you were live streaming at the time right <laughs> yes and also put you in classes because <laughs> obviously you need them and this of course feeds into the kind of competitive angle like, uh, so basically anywhere you can reach is a place you can legally be in pulse that they, they don't enforce much of anything 
they're fairly hands-off towards what their citizens do. That's kind of a, a part of their community identity. So wherever there are these girders or railings or air platforms or whatever, that's you're welcome to go there. And a lot of business meetings happen outside on the like ledge or something like that. And if you can't get to outside on the ledge because you're afraid of heights or don't have wings or something, you might not be invited to that meeting or the next one. So the, the explore your environment is this kind of strange double-edged sword. If you've ever seen like a, one of those shared workplace flex environments that's been kind of made too modern, I feel like that's kind of what all of Pulse is like. Just this, this weird, slightly modular, high design over sensibility uh, aesthetic. Oh, yeah, they were actually... Sorry, completely off topic. They were trying to do that. To my, they were trying to do that to my work, and I work with a whole bunch of programmers. And um, they rioted. <laughs> no, one of the things that was recommended is, hey, if you're going to redesign the common area, can you please put stalls in it so I don't have to look the people next to me as I eat? I was like, ah, uh, yes, I work with introverts. <laughs> <laughs> Very much would not fit in in the realm of pulse. Mirror's Edge everywhere, free running. Uh, they probably, if I were, they were doing that, they would probably have color-coded sections where it's like, if you follow sure. the red path, you'll be landing safely. But if you follow the green one, it might have a slightly rougher landing spot than if you followed the red one. But you'll get to a much cooler place if you follow that one. Okay. Oh, like, it's like ski slopes. You have uh, different ratings for different uh, runs. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you have your green diamond for your easy ones, your blue square for the slightly harder, more advanced ones, your black... Your black ones for uh, the experts and your double black EX for the, um, you might die. Right. I don't know. That that sounds like it's straying a little bit too much into safety guidelines, guardrails for Pulse. I, I think they might just label the four starting points and let you figure out which one's the black diamonds and which one's the easy path. Yeah. And which I'm, one's the smashers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Why do we even have those? I don't know. <laughs> I, someone thought they were cool and we didn't take them out. They make noise. Remember downtown in Austin, uh, there's a parking garage that they, they, they built it a certain number of floors high and then stopped. And so the, the central ramp, the top level, there's, there's a little chain blocking off and there's a ramp just kind of up to nowhere. <laughs> Every time I'm there, I'm looking in the air and say, where's the power ups? This has got to go somewhere. <laughs> so we don't necessarily think that Vector Society has tons of cubicle spaces or like leveled office complexes because a lot of the menial crap has been farmed out to robots. And so there's a lot of working at home or a lot of working where you are or doing design or things like that. And that kind of impulse, this leads to a bunch of people working maybe just wherever, like the entire world is this flex office space and they might just end up outside of this pub or on the roof of this or that or the other thing. And this is one more way I think that you kind of get to know your community because you're working there physically. You are in the space that's occupied by everybody else. You're in this one kind of shared yeah. human stew. Yeah, with the idea of uh, the smart class where you can just kind of press your toggle to it and then suddenly your entire that thing is your workspace. Yeah. Then suddenly it doesn't matter where you are. Like you might be running around through the streets and you'll see a smart glass pressed up against benches on the roof where it's just like, okay, cool. Someone's up there and they're working. You also can't get the sense that Pulse doesn't really have a concept of a work-life balance. No. If, if you're Pulse, you, you are living your work, your work is your life, and all of these kind of work together just to be yeah. you. Yeah, and you better enjoy it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the self-discovery thing. You, Why would you stop if you don't like your job? Well, I think that's kind of the question a lot of people ask themselves before they leave Pulse, too. Yeah. <laughs> this is dominating my entire life. Is that right? You're not playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> You're not playing the right game. <laughs> the mob. Ashtar ran a Pulse game where the mob was the main antagonist. I think we were joking earlier this episode that maybe he didn't know how to run a Pulse town, but I think it was a fine example of what Pulse might be. Because that shared frenzy, it's, it feels right. I mean, I don't think you'd like point to the Pulse ethic and say that belongs there. But that kind of glorious celebration of whatever you're celebrating that week, and then let's make a huge, massive move on it. It sounds like it, it feels like it'd be there. Um, particularly if you have enough gazelles in the area. They're horrible. And just a little bit of backstory around that. The timetable was supposed to be around kind of a culmination of a sports season or whatever. So kind of World Cup week and somewhere yeah. that really cares about World Cup. So it wasn't simply a mob that was 
running around for no apparent reason and smashing things. They were, they'd, they'd flooded the town for this event. Right. And and there were supporters from both sides, which is why there was a bit of a mob, because they were kind of throwing elbows on the streets and gaining each other's faces and half-riot celebrations, that type of thing. We, we found out that if the GM says choose red or blue and you choose yellow, it doesn't go well for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody likes yellow. They were eliminated in the third round. <laughs> Some of the people you might meet in Pulse Land, there are five named categories of Pulse agents in Sound and Silence. This is not everybody you'll meet, but it's kind of some of the big categories of people that are, I think, more PCable. We'll start with Scouts. This is the uh, cocaine snorting talent agent sort of type of person. I think possibly very Hollywood, possibly very stealth. They're in the background waiting to see if somebody succeeds and then kind of push them in the right direction for future success. That's, I mean, it's a good place for a very people oriented person to play. Maybe not as much cocaine as I'm suggesting there is. I want there to be space cocaine somewhere, though. You, you sure. It wouldn't be cocaine. No, it space, would be... space cocaine. Yeah. Um, we call it vocaine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the scouts are kind of, I think they're going to be there to make people's, like, help realize the pulse dream. If they're not there, then maybe you can't escape the, the scrum, the daily life to be, like, the, the person standing on the pedestal. Mm -hmm. Well, they also be the person trying to help keep people in pulse. Well, yeah, yeah. You have to have yeah. those moments of success; otherwise, it's futile. Uh, and compare this to Marsco, where there is no upward verticality at all. <laughs> where the entire thing about living in Marsco town is that you you can't possibly move upwards because up is just this nebulous haze of nothing good. Nebulous haze of middle management. Uh, from there, we have the beacons, which I think are the ultimate expression of what it means to be an empowered individual. Uh, we've already talked about them. They are they are the, the poster children of the organization. But like any good idol, they don't actually have the power. They're just figureheads. A uh, little of both. A little I mean, of both. Yeah, they are superheroes. I mean, legitimately, they are extreme examples of what, techno what biotech can do to you, for you, and with you, and in your hands. That's true. Uh, kindling. That's category three, and um, this is kind of an interesting one. They are the ones that uh, make the mob surge forward, uh, that provide the occasion for heroism. Uh, maybe these are not people you actually want on your personal team. <laughs> they are the button pushers. Yes. In the party, they're the ones that will always push the big red button mm -hmm. or take whatever, the, take whatever bait the DM is dangling out. <laughs> As an NPC... They're the ones that start creating these scenarios. Right. If there's a standoff between the PCs and their own pulse, you can guarantee that a kindling will come along and make something happen. That's that's their role. That's what they do. Yeah. They they, they slow clap to uh, build up the final applause. <laughs> they walk up to Mexican standoffs and yell, bang! <laughs> <laughs> uh, catalysts. Okay, the catalysts were getting to deeply unethical territory here. Uh, catalysts are the ones that are pouring the white powder into the office water supply that's going to turn Joe into a rabbiting monster. It's going to turn everybody into rabbiting monsters, and someone gives Joe a chainsaw to survive the experience. Maybe not quite that bloody. Maybe quite that bloody. I don't know. It depends on the catalyst in question. An unethical one would be kind of a scary monster. Everyone becomes hyper-intelligent, and you're going to have a chess tournament. Otherwise, you can't leave. Chess to the death. They are free-range reality TV directors, and all the world is their stage. Well, and that, that's the stagehand is also kind of that category, too. Stagehands are excellent combat engineers. They form battlefields and arenas into—well, they create battlefields and arenas out of uh, grade schools and libraries. Uh, it could potentially, at some point in time, maybe be a battle arena. The stagehand is there to make sure it can be. It is amazing what you can weaponize. But the stagehand, almost by definition, is a little bit more ninja-like. They're not really in the spotlight. They're not really necessarily directing the changes or trying to make things happen. They're, they're setting the stage. They're providing the potential. They're providing the background for something to happen. I feel like the catalysts are probably in that background role as well. They, they set the seeds for what's happening. Unless you're dealing with somebody that's like more into Faustian bar bargains, um, kind of like, do you want to sign the contract now or whatever? See, and almost by name, the Catalyst, yeah, they could certainly be in the background if they don't, if they want things to just proceed without, but I don't think they necessarily have to be in the background. I think it's, you kind of can think of it like a regular stage where the stage hands are there in the background to not be seen, where the Catalyst is maybe more of like this director, per se. Uh, 
where it's the person who might be actually just there shouting and there to provide the stagehands with the instructions when the stagehands kind of take over from there and are not seen, but the instructions get handled. It's a great metaphor because suddenly the people that were innocent bystanders become actors whether they want to or not. Absolutely. But I do definitely think that the catalysts are at least often both directing and starring in their big play. They they can and will be the main actor sometimes, not just setting other people up to. Well, of course. I, I, I think I disagree. I think that their role is more... I mean, they, they're instigators, but like because they wrote the script, because they set up the person that's going to be the next big thing. I think they're the more active application of the scouting principle more than anything else. That's my opinion. That makes sense. Um, and all these all these people are kind of elevate. Well, the beacons are they're not elevating anybody except as examples. But all these people kind of uplift the citizens around them and say, this is what you could be. You could be a ravening eight foot tall electric monster wolf thing if you really wanted to be. And here's we're going to make it happen for you right now. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean they don't get stage time, but but I think they turn they turn the world into the into the the cast and crew as well. Well, let me ask you a different question then, or a related question. Do you think there's room for teachers, acting coaches, life coaches, that type of thing in Pulse? Yeah, I think I think that the uh, mentor is a major figure. See, and I think that answers my question. I think that answers the difference between where we came on that previous one, because mm-hmm. I don't think Pulse necessarily has a bunch of mentors or trainers or even within the personal trainers or the life trainers, because I don't think that necessarily fits with being the best you. That's that's not... You, you can't be very... Um, intro, not introspective, but if you're focused on yourself, it takes a completely different mindset to focus on someone else and help them be the best them. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily see that as big a thing in Pulse as being the best you. Well, I feel like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of consultant types that are there to kind of give you advice for where you want to be next. And I, I feel like that might be in canon as well. Like there's, there's a, there's a self-actualization industry that's really huge in pulse and it's not just medical. It's a lot of stuff. You must also remember that there's uh, the saying that you have not truly mastered something until you can teach someone to the same level you are, uh, where you will never know everything about something till you have taught everyone about it, because therefore you will have heard every single question. You will have thought through every single answer. This is, uh, like in computer science, I was forced to teach people, not necessarily because I wanted to, but because they asked me questions I had never even considered. So to further myself, I then started teaching more people how to code because every single time I taught someone, I learned something new. So it was no longer me trying to improve others. It was I was improving others so they could ask me the silly questions so I could improve myself. And I'm definitely not arguing with that as a concept. Is that ever mentioned in relation to Pulse, though? Like, does any of the write-up of Pulse give you that impression that that attitude exists? It's being the best you can be. If being the best you can be requires teaching, then damn well, I will teach. Yeah, I feel like... That's I, fair. I do feel like I, I see where you're coming from. They don't talk about, um, like, martial arts colleges or anything like that. But but it's implied. I mean, if <coughs> if they like competition and, and being the best, I mean, presumably everyone doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Well, it's also very much internalized. I mean, if you want to become a great baseball player, are you going to go find a great baseball player to mentor you, or are you going to get out there and play baseball? I think the pulse answer is to get out there and play baseball. So let's talk subsidiaries next and uh, and the lack thereof. Actually, I mean, in practice, only Marsco and maybe Progenus have any subsidiaries listed out. Uh, everybody, uh, Spyglass has one. It was Progenitus. Um so this is not a place where the rules really kind of play themselves out, but Pulse is so small and light that I still wonder whether they really have the same range and panoply of businesses under them that, say, ASR does. And I think what we're really looking at is subsidiaries of note, because, of course, they're going to have child corporations. Everybody does. But if they're yeah. just if they're not really specialized, they're not really known for what they're doing. Right. I mean, I imagine that Smoothie Town is one of theirs and you can't escape it. But, um, yeah, big noteworthy ones. No, we don't. We don't know. I mean, that's the case with all of the mega corporations, though. We just don't know. There's only like four named subsidiaries out there. But there could be some very big ones. They're just not 
gameplay relevant. You could have subsidiaries for some of the different games that are going on that could be massive entertainment enterprises, but no, like the, the game doesn't care. The giant robot ball network and sure. uh, support structure is, is going to be pretty big. The, the entire broadcast industry around recording and broadcasting all of the uh, sports scenes. The different uh, various archetypes of Pulse probably have their own industries to support them as well. Can't, uh, scouts probably have to report to someone that isn't just Pulse. Yeah, yeah, there's likely to be uh, at least a, a support network, a yeah. managerial network. I guess they wouldn't even want to all work for the same <laughs> parent company as well, just so they have some of their own competition of, hey, we're doing slightly better this quarter than you are. So I'm imagining that, like the Catalyst Network, they get like regular product samples sent out on, on like a quarterly basis of, try slipping this into the water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> it's a love potion, and it makes you grow eight foot long spikes. <laughs> God, the uh, spiked punch at the pool uh, uh, at the party would be. Uh, oh God! <laughs> Everybody just dumps in their old samples from last year. <laughs> That's why you never go to the New Year's party because it's wow. like, let's get rid of the st- powders from last time. And we've been paying a lot of attention to the sports side and the physical surgery side, but Pulse is almost just as deeply into the marketing side and the image side and the the almost. Revising the truth side. We, we talked a little about this last time, but who, you were there for... I was there for... Whitey was there for the last episode. We kind of both came to the table feeling like Pulse is more marketing. And maybe they were when they started, but that seems to have kind of been like the third leg that dropped yeah, off. It was the... Uh, they were... One of their main commodities is hype. Yeah. I think that was what the conclusion we came to was, where you will probably have entire... It might be even a subsidiary entirely dedicated to creating hype around something. But for the most part, it feels like, and I think this is canon, that um, I keep saying that as a way of like shutting people off and I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> it, it feels like over time, their mission has focused onto mostly competition through sports and physical be all you can be as, as like main product lines. They also kind of sell the Kool-Aid that everybody drinks, that is the hype and the buzz. But for the most part, it doesn't seem like they do as much of the big media as maybe it was hinted at in book one. Actually, this is a very interesting part where a subsidiary would make a lot of sense, where if the parent company is taking one direction, they could have splintered off uh, to go, well, as the parent company is doing this, let's form our own small organization underneath it that will continue doing what it originally went out and intended to do. As people go off and do their own things, we will make sure this basically fragment of the economy or this fragment of everything is still under our control. Hmm. So there might still be huge uh, media conglomerates under Pulse that are just less talked about because Pulse itself is doing going off and doing its own thing. One of the subsidiaries I wrote up, uh, it's uh, called Titan I think Titan Media Cooperative, and it is not big media. It is uh, modeled loosely after um, Toxic Crusader. Trauma. Trauma films and that one group that always does the like, reversioning of the previous thing. So this, this, this little film company, it, it mostly puts out low-budget versions of high-budget films, uh, things that have actors they can get to do work for free. They operate out of an abandoned city, so they have some extra sets and things like that. And the CEO is a complete sleazeball that will sign anybody up. But deep down, they have the mission of making sure that the little guy can also get onto the stage with the big guy. So, you know, maybe you'll never be the next Marlon Rando, but you can at least have a chance to shine. And, and that, that's kind of where they carry the pulse torch. Also cocaine. Is one of the I suspect I, I like three different pulse subsidiaries. That's my favorite one, but it's just kind of one pager. I'm, I'm playing a character from the travel agency group I I put together. It's just kind of a third. It's called Parallax, and they're more about the adventure travel side of pulse that gets a little bit of coverage, but isn't kind of part of their big vision. But it brings in the money. It does. Oh, the third one, the third group was, uh, I called them Mode. They were kind of focused on youth culture and uh, kind of like teen magazine times 20 or so. Your parents don't understand them. A related concept, the, the old, old game, Car Wars, game of driving around in cars in a post-apocalyptic world, kind of loosely based on Mad Max. 
at one loosely. point loosely loosely <laughs> well, it was a little bit more high tech they had lasers and stuff but at one point they they added rules for le- having kids in the cars <laughs> and one of the rules is all kids are expert gunners because video games it's important to gamify your experiences yeah yeah do you think Actually, there's an interesting one. Uh, the, with the Pulse Town be the best youth that there can be, and uh, Pulse being focused on sports as well as intellectual thing, would there be a uh, basically a split in towns for, instead of being incredibly dangerous uh, all the time, there are uh, towns more full of intellectuals competing against each other for some reason contrived, where it's uh, instead of running around being able to like free run everywhere, it is all art, literature, and... Thing where you basically instead of having uh, a basically a boxing match in a bar, you might have a poetry slam instead, and just a town dedicated to that. See, I think you're drawing a bit of an artificial line that maybe exists today that doesn't exist anymore. There are, I don't think a pulse town would have a concept of nerds and jocks because well, they're all one and the same. Because they kick the nerds out and send them to ASR. Well, well they nah. they're one and the same. I yeah, mean the the you know. the. Balls ball team that you have that's out there beating each other up on the field might retire to the pub and then have a poetry slam down afterwards. It might. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, and everybody is encouraged to embrace their own personal ball ball as well. But I, you know, I, I think that there there is a an effort by Pulse to have an intellectual side. It doesn't seem to quite work because like. I'm thinking back to uh, during the Renaissance, there were towns that just became the art town because an artist was there and then two artists were there and then lots of artists were there and then artists flocked together. Sure. Or the example in, in Texas would be Marfa. Yeah. Small town, middle of nowhere, full of architects. Because it can be. Yeah, just because. And like, would it be similar in Pulse where we'd see different various professions suddenly flocking together and then there's enough of them for a town and then suddenly there's a town. So another little community I've been kind of speaking out because I've been working on some Pulse locations just be more relevant to this episode um, is there's a a series of like three mountains very close to each other in Mars and they're kind of up in the ocean area what's like the ocean area it's Mount Mount Elysium and two others they're 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 not Olympus Mons size but they're pretty big volcano types and it's this image of like three volcanoes together is kind of beautiful and forms like a nice natural arena so I've got the three mountains and then in the base in between them, I'm putting a lot of like a, a, a pulse corp nation that's got about about nine little towns inside of it. Um, and, and the entire area in, in the current map of Mars is based on like hell names like there's Cerberus and Archeron and Styx. So I made nine little towns. No, um, <laughs> thank you. Someone laughed uh, t- and named them after various interpretations of the circles of hell. One of them is called Discourse, and it's kind of where people go and squabble over academic things like that. And I was trying to figure out what an arena in there would look like. And it looks like a standard arena in my mind. But the real challenge is not so much the battle. The secret to get to the next level is to give really good sports commentary. (laughs) And the best one is the one that can make the loser sound good. And beyond that is the one that can make the loser into the winner by elevating them. Uh, it's, It's a neat idea. I like it a lot. Yeah. Then there's the kitchen arena. Had a different commentary. So I'm also imagining that historians in Pulse, it's like, uh-huh. we're now entering day 16,342 of the modern era. <laughs> you know, at a certain point, competitive commentary wouldn't even need like anything to commentate on. They would just be a bunch of talking heads saying around having their competitions. <laughs> I don't even know what they're talking about anymore. <laughs> They're just glossing the world at this point. <laughs> it's like, how many levels of DVD commentary can you have? <laughs> Competitive newscasting. What might have <laughs> potentially happened, maybe, in the realm of The Office. Well, I don't think we need to go 700 years into the future for that one. This is true. Is that a natural segue to what we think is awesome this week? I'm cool with that. Okay. There comes a time in each man's life but he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. Um, well then, two things for me this week, uh, both both kind of small. Uh, one of, where's my, 
page I have at the, the top. Uh, one thing, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman is, was picked up by, um, Netflix, which is kind of in the realm of sci-fi. Uh, this is Netflix, I think most expensive media purchase to date, and it's going to be very pricey project. But if you like the Sandman series, I hope you do. Uh, this should be, I hope this is going to be really amazing. It's been like slated for a movie several times, but most recently people have looked at game of thrones and said this is probably a better model right more episodic yeah crunching that whole series down into a movie that's 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 crazy well like the first arc of the movie was going to be um a game of you i think well the first the first like six books that end with the like fight with dr d the the crazy person in the diner of doom um but yeah i think taking it into like single episodes i mean they did it with um lucifer fairly effectively and Van and uh, God, like two Vertigo titles have been adapted already, so why not go for the big one? So, so there was that, and I, I really feel like this one is just me. I was listening to Radio Free Hipster, which is the Nerdcore podcast. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Um, oh, good, you've heard it. Um, and they had an album by one man nerd rock band, uh, Kraken Not Stirred. One song off of it they played, and I just fell in love with it immediately and bought the album and haven't listened to it yet, but that's me. Um, Manimi, can you play 11.9 seconds of uh, In the Martian Sunrise, please? I think this one could be an HSD anthem and that's how it hit me immediately. And probably the reason I fell in love with it because that, that hook about standing on Mars and looking into the future, I just fell in love with it. And speaking of standing on Mars and uh, potentially getting there at some point in time, NASA is moving forward with having a more permanent uh, position on the moon. And hopefully it'll be, we'll be seeing that in 2024. They just did, uh, I think it was abort tests for Project Orion. And Ooh. those went successfully and everything is on track. So cool. that's new in the realm of space. Yeah, NASA's always walked this delicate line of being boring and getting funding. <laughs> <laughs> they just got a lot of funding. Good, I'm glad to hear that. So next episode, I believe, we're going to be talking about uh, year 700 sports, uh, sci-fi sports, that sort of thing. Balls ball. Balls ball, giant robot ball. Giant robot ball. Pyramid. That's a very dangerous one, I understand. I hope this won't devolve into a series of lists. It seems kind of inevitable. But um, I'm looking forward to that. And until then, catch you outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.